Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to speak for just a few minutes from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, If you want to grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you, um, feel free to do that. Um, we're just going to look at these, these three verses in 1 Timothy 1. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? You know, if I, if I polled every person in Tifton, I would bet over 80, well over 80% of people that I polled would say Christmas is their favorite holiday. Why is that? Is it because we have a materialistic culture that loves opening gifts? Maybe, but there's got to be something deeper than that. Uh, Because at age 29, 30 in March, I'm at a point where that feels kind of empty to me. I mean, it's exciting because, you know, I have a mystery of what's in that wrapped up box, but I don't really need more stuff, just to be honest with you. Is it because the season is really festive? Maybe. But why is it that Christmas time is more popular than, say, summer vacation or football season or something like that? Is it because of all of our family gets together? Maybe, but let's be honest, if we really wanted to and put in the effort, our family could gather any time of the year. And honestly, we tend to look forward to our family being together, and then very often we end up all sitting around the living room, all looking at our phones, not talking to each other. We look forward to that all year. But there's something about Christmas deeper than all of that, that transcends gifts, transcends festivities, it transcends family. What is it that makes people love Christmas so much? Christmas is celebrated for a reason. It's celebrated for a reason. We remember the birth of the most significant man who has ever walked the earth. His name was Jesus. Something happened when he came into the world, when he was born and when he lived. Something happened in that moment. Here at Mount Zion, we've been talking this whole month about reasons Jesus was born. That's been our sermon series. We've looked at all kinds of reasons throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, and and we've talked about all those, and we've been leading up to concluding tonight. Um, We conclude that series tonight with with what, what I would argue is the most important reason Jesus was born, and that's in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus came 
That is, he was born at Christmas, he lived his life, he died on Good Friday and was raised on Easter for one big goal, to save sinners. Sinners need to be saved. That's the, that's the mission Jesus came on when he was born. It's interesting, 1 Timothy 1, it says that Paul, the apostle Paul writing this calls himself the foremost sinner. Other translations say he's the chief of sinners. He's the head honcho of all the sinners. If you want to look and see the worst sinner in the world, he says, look at me. That, that's what he says. Even more striking than that is that um, he, he says that after, if you read up and read the rest of 1 Timothy 1, he's listed a ton of different types of sin in verses 8 through 11. He's, he's, he's basically laid it all out. And I mean, he, he shares a lot of really generic ones, you know, the lawless and the, um, the, the disobedient, the ungodly, but then he gets into really specific ones. Um, those who strike their, mother, their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He just lays out a bunch of them. And after all of that, after he's named all those people that society sees as the bad people, what does he do? He says, but I'm the worst one of them all. I'm the worst one of them all. Not the murderers, not the sexually immoral, not the enslavers. I'm the worst one. But the fact is, if you had lived in Paul's day, if you'd lived in the first century, Paul would not have been, you would not have seen Paul as a bad guy. You would not. He was one of the most trained religious people of his day. He was among the religious leaders. He was a Pharisee. If you had been a Jew in the first century, Paul would have been to you what Billy Graham is to us or Mother Teresa or Pope John Paul II or, or whoever you want to throw in that category. We can look back now and we can know, yeah, he killed Christians and, and he did that. But in that day, Christians were not viewed as good people. They were viewed as criminals, heretics, and troublemakers. A Jew in Paul's day would have looked at Paul killing Christians the same way we, look, we might look at an American soldier taking on an enemy soldier in battle. We celebrate them for that. Christians were disrupting the Jewish way of life, and Paul was defending their nation. That's what the Jews thought. Paul sees himself as the chief of sinners, the worst sinner out there. I wonder if you share that belief about yourself. My guess is you probably don't. Do we share that belief that um, I'm the worst sinner I know? I mean, yeah, the, the murderers, the enslavers, the sexually immoral, whatever, but I'm, I'm way worse than them because I know every thought that goes through my head. I know every thought I've ever had, everything I've ever done. Uh, my guess is that's probably not what we think of ourselves. Because most of the time, we interpret the world through an understanding that we are part of the good guys. And all, all, all the, there, there's somebody out there in the world who's the bad guys. They're what's wrong with the world. And the world is set up to help us with that. Every news channel you watch twists the narrative that the people you disagree with are what's wrong with the world. If you're like most people, you unfollow and unfriend anybody on Facebook who disagrees with you so that every day you can get on there and see just a scrolling of affirmation and people who agree with you. This was my story before I became a Christian. I became a Christian my sophomore year of high school. Before that, I was a um, pretty model kid um, in my parents' eyes and in the eyes of my teachers and various people. I got good grades. 
I never got in trouble, never went to detention, you know, turned all my homework in on time. Um, and, and I had this mindset in myself of, you know, if, if everybody in school would be like me, people wouldn't be in the de- detention hall every morning. Uh, kids wouldn't be fighting out by the soda machine, Coke machine, there in the hallway. And because I had that thought about myself, I saw no need of a savior because in my mind, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. Friend, you will not see a need for a savior if you spend all your time thinking everyone else needs a savior more than you do. You'll see no need of a savior for yourself. Jesus was born at Christmas because you needed a savior and because I needed a savior. If the story you tell yourself is, um, if the story you tell yourself is true, that pe- other people need a savior more than you do, Christmas wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist because Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die because you're a good enough example for us to put our hope in. But the fact is, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We have not fully obeyed God's law. We all fall short. Even on that list Paul lays out there in verses 8 through 11, frankly, every one of us is on that list. You know, we, we gloss over it because, you know, I'm not a murderer. I've never enslaved anybody, you know, all of that. But, but notice, he says, the lawless... So the lawless, that means if you've ever not listened to the, the rules of your parents when you were a kid, if you've ever disobeyed your teacher, if you've ever you know, broken the speed limit, then you're in that category. All of us are on there somewhere. Anything short of perfection does not make it into heaven. God is a holy God, and sin is consumed in his presence. If there is any sin in you, you will be destroyed upon seeing his face. And so you need help outside of yourself to save you. You need something outside of yourself that you can't work up in yourself to provide help for you. That's why Jesus came at Christmas. That's why he came. He was born of a virgin. That is the sin nature that we all inherit from our parents and our ancestors did not pass on to him because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived his life completely free from sin and in perfect fellowship with God so he could be the spotless lamb to take away the sin of the world. He died on the cross. In that moment, he bore the punishment for sin. He paid the debt that sinners owed a holy God for their sin. He traded places with sinners. It basically works like this. We are all here, completely sinful. He is right here, completely righteous. He swapped places with us. That is, he takes the punishment that sinners get under the wrath of God, and now sinners who receive that are transferred over here, and they get the reward of living completely righteous their entire life, even though they didn't. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might receive the righteousness of God. This is what Christmas is about. This transcends all the other stuff we do at Christmas. Salvation has come to the world, but you must receive it. That's what the text says. This is a trustworthy statement, and it, it, it deserves full acceptance. It deserves full reception. You must receive it. You don't get brought into that sacrifice by default. You have to receive it. The Bible says you must do two things. You must repent of your sins. That is, you must make a 180-degree turn from your sin and go the other way. And you must believe. You must believe the good news that Jesus died on the cross and he died in your place. He, you deserve to be on the cross and I deserve to be on the cross. Jesus traded places with you. He took your place. Jesus came at Christmas to save a sinner like you because you're not too far gone. 
You're not too far gone. Not only that, he provides never-ending love and grace for you. That's what verse 16 says. Paul says about himself, um, uh, Christ gave me mercy for this reason, that I, the, the chief of sinners, through me he might display his perfect patience as an example to those who hadn't believed yet. He would show his perfect patience in my life as an example to those who hadn't believed yet. You don't imagine God is like this, do you? You imagine he's forgiving, but only to a point, right? Like, like there comes a point when God like, no longer forgives, right? He, he's, got, he's got a really long wick, but eventually that flame's going to get down to the end and it's going to explode, right? He's got a, really, a longer wick than any human does, but eventually, if you push him far enough, he'll give up on you. And you think you've screwed up so many times that there's no hope for you, but there is. There is. Notice, God saves people through Jesus to demonstrate his perfect patience to the world. Perfect patience. Perfect. Do you really think you can outfail perfect patience? You, you struggle. Do you really think you can lose the grace and love of Jesus? He has perfect patience toward you. But I've fallen into the same sin 10,435 times. I've kept count. He's surely done with me, right? Well, is 10,435 bigger than perfect patience? But I just can't beat it. He, he probably expects me to be better than this, right? Nope. Nope. He is all-knowing. He knows you better than you do. That's why he gave you perfect patience, because he knew you were going to reach 10,435 sins and then well past that. That's why perfect patience is there. If you're saved by Jesus, if you've been redeemed by him, you have perfect patience over you. There's nothing you can do to lose that. There's no sin you could ever commit that would cause you to lose his love. No sin in your past, no sin in your present, and no sin you're going to commit in your future has more power than what Jesus did. If you aren't saved, you don't have this. You don't have it. You have every reason to fear. You have no hope that he will not punish you for your sin. But there is hope for you still. You must come running to him. He will receive you with open arms. He will wipe you clean, forgive your sins, and make you absolutely new. So repent and believe the gospel. And when that happens, your life will be transformed to verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Your life will be transformed to where you no longer live for yourself. Now you live for his honor and his glory forever. Because frankly, we're gonna last, uh, I will last about 80 years on this earth if nothing bad happens to me before then. And in about five generations, none of my descendants will remember my name. And in a few generations after that, you won't be able to read the letters on my tombstone, but he will last forever. He is worthy of more honor and glory than I or any of you could ever imagine your life is about. So we live our lives for the glory of his name, not for the glory of our names. We do that because we've been transformed by his grace. So now bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or raise your hands. I just want you to have no distractions while I ask you some questions tonight. Are you living for yourself? Are you trying to provide for your own salvation by how good of a person you are? 
don't you know that anything short of perfection does not make it without outside help? Are you here and you perhaps think you've fallen, you failed too much? Have you heard the good news of Christmas? God has not turned his back on you. He hasn't. He has come to save those who are major failures. He loves to redeem the biggest failures. He loves to fix the most broken things. Will you come to him? Whether you think you are a really good person or you think you're really broken, would you recognize that you need something outside of yourself to save you? Would you repent of your sins, confess to God that you're a sinner and you need a redemption? There's no magic prayer I can give you for this. Just surrender to him in your own words. Confess your sin and commit your life to him. Believe the good news that you cannot save yourself. God had to provide a way of salvation for you. He did so through Jesus. He died for your sins in your place. Would you believe that? He took your place on the cross. Would you trust in his forgiveness? I'm speaking now to those who've done that, those of you who are saved. Many of you gave your life to Jesus a long time ago. I pray some of you have tonight. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. There's no sin you could commit that could separate you from the love of Christ. He has perfect patience toward you. Rejoice in that. You can't out the cross. And now ask yourself the question, does your life reflect verse 17? To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That's the purpose, you, that, that's the purpose of your life as a sinner saved by grace. I want to give you just a few seconds of silence to meditate on those truths and those questions now, and then I will pray. Father, I pray for hearts in this room. I pray for those who know Jesus, that they would know the great joy of their salvation, that they have perfect patience from Jesus, that he will never cast us aside. His, um, his, his love for us will never run out. His grace will never run out. And that's the joy of what we celebrate this season, especially tomorrow. That's the purpose. That's why this season matters, Lord. But I pray for any here who don't know Jesus, and I pray that they'd surrender their life to him that they would repent of their sins and believe the gospel, for that's their only hope. And then that they would have this joy that God will never cast them aside. He will never be done with them. He will receive them with open arms. And so God, move in people now, saved or not saved. In Jesus' name, amen.